Hello, and welcome to the Original Content Podcast. I'm Anthony Ha. I'm Jordan Crook. Our co-host, Daryl Etherington, is not joining us this week, both for reasons of scheduling and also because of what we're reviewing, namely The Crown Season 6, which I think it's fair to say is not Daryl's favorite show. No, he's very anti-monarch monarchist whatever whatever the word is for that which is interesting because he is the only subject as far as the co-hosts go uh, of the royal family so yeah i mean i i feel like in general i don't have a great sense of like how canadians feel about it but often the most passionate anti-monarchists are british people because i mean you know as americans we don't really have uh i'm anti-monarchist and like in principle like yeah, I think that same. having a monarchy in 2023 is stupid, but I don't, my tax dollars don't go towards it. So I don't feel it viscerally, maybe like uh, a true subject of, of the monarchy would. Right. I don't get angry about it. I think it's funny. Um, I, th- it's I think it's like that- dumb. <laughs> there are, I think when you, yeah, read a little bit more about, about it, then like I can start to some, like I can relate to say like somebody like John Oliver's anger about it, but I don't, but yeah, I don't really feel it in a visceral way. So, I mean, I've seen the entire sixth season. Jordan, you've seen most of the sixth season. This is wrapping up the whole show. Mm -hmm. Um, Going into it, I mean, you, I would say, are the biggest fan of The Crown among the hosts. Yeah, I am. I, I, you know, a couple things I'll say. One, I think it's a well put together show for a drama that, tends to cover a lot of kind of like boring shit. I think it does a good job. Like they they cast the show really well. The dialogue is 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 great, I think. The the selections they made of what to cover and not to cover, I think were pretty good. Um you know, it's like a good it's like a prestige television show in my opinion, and I think that it it delivers on that. I also think that there's something kind of thrilling. And if this weren't the case, I don't think I would like this show at all. I think if it was like entirely fictional, I wouldn't mm-hmm. like this show. But there's something thrilling about inching closer and closer to your own personal store of memories of uh, collective kind of like pop culture moments, right? And so when we start with, and I'm curious, I would be curious how like a 90-year-old feels watching it, right? But like, when we start with Elizabeth ascending the throne in the 50s, I believe, mm-hmm. um, which I was not even remotely there for 30 years before my existence. Plus, uh, you know, there's something about like, oh, I kind of know where we're headed, but I never I didn't learn about this story like thoroughly or like I didn't know the details of this. And it can be enticing to think that you're watching the real thing. Um, and you kind of play this game of like, no, they made this dialogue up. There's no one that was ever in that room. We have no idea how it actually went. And then moments that are like almost verbatim copied from footage or, you know, recorded. And the mixture of those two things as we inch closer and closer to things that I actually remember, I actually remember Princess Diana. I actually remember her death. I actually remember, you know, um, the the boys walking behind the coffin and as we get closer and closer to those things there's something that kind of propels me as a viewer through something that is kind of like dry generally 
Um, yeah, so that's how I feel about it, I think. I feel like dry, it's sometimes dry, and also it's this, the stakes can feel very, very low because- You know what's gonna come. You know what's gonna come, and also because the modern monarchy has no real political power. And so everything they do is symbolically important, but they don't like make the decision. Like for example, this, uh, this season you see, you know, 9-11 and the invasion of Iraq happen in the background. They have no say over that. I mean, she can, you know, maybe give disapproving looks to Tony Blair, which may or may not have happened, but they don't, you know, they're not really involved in that. Um, and so often the things that they do get very obsessed over and, and have power over can feel trivial compared to that. But even so, the, the show does a really good job of making an argument for why these things matter, at least to the to the people involved. And I mean, there is even um, an episode in this season where that kind of conflict really kind of gets drawn out because it's basically Tony Blair saying, a lot of this shit is really ridiculous, which I think a lot of people and a lot of viewers would think, and essentially Elizabeth making the argument for why it's not. Um, I should also say, by the way, that we're going to not get into a ton of spoilery details about the episodes, but we are going to you know, talk generally about the plot and we're going to talk about real life events. So hopefully it's not a shock to anyone that Diana died in a car accident. And um, Please don't laugh while you say it, though. It's still too soon. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but, you know, if there are going to be real life spoilers in this discussion, I suspect. Yeah. Yeah. It shouldn't be too spoily. Most of what we see has already happened. Um, you know, there are like, there are a couple things that I think I take issue with and I'll try to talk high level about it. I feel a little bit bothered by the portrayal in the first set, the first part of kind of like, Diana Doty and how that happened. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, like when it was real time, I was too young to Princess Diana's death was what, 93? 97, actually. 97. I was shocked when I looked this up. I thought it was earlier 90s, too. Yeah. Okay. So 97 would make me nine when it happened. So I obviously was not at an age where I was ingesting the full details of the news coverage. Mm-hmm. And I certainly, you know, it's like her death is actually what stole the most attention. I was not even aware of Dodie or any of those things, right? And so like the the diehard kind of like royal news hunters and fans probably had a better sense of how Dodie and her were being portrayed. It made, it really like cheapened her in my opinion. Um, and it flattened out something that I thought was different than it was, at least in my memory. And maybe I'm just a little, I don't know how accurate it was, right? Like, is that the accurate kind of portrayal of how they came together, what they meant to one another and how all of that played out? Was that really what what it was or was it something different than that? Because my memory of it or the way that I had painted it in my mind was something different than that. And maybe I'm just angry and selfish over my own memory of that. Mm. Um, or maybe it was wrong and I don't know the answer. And that's kind of like an aggravating itch. Yeah. My sense and, and, you know, I, I, I wonder how much of this was also being 
in the US versus the UK that, that maybe they got into a lot more details about the relationship, especially if you're reading the tabloids than they did in the US. But yeah, I, I remember nothing about Dodie essentially. Um, and, and before, you know, the show came back, I might have been able to remember his name, but not necessarily. And, and so like my expertise really is just, or any knowledge that I have now is just from reading like the season six fact check articles that come out. And, and so my sense is that what is known is that, yeah, they were very early in a relationship um, and that he, you know, that, that after they died, his father claimed that they were engaged and she was pregnant with his child. And, you know, there was sort of no evidence that that was actually the case. And a lot of other people denied that that was true. Um, so early in their relationship, romantically or early in having even met each other? That's a point of contention in my mind. That's fair. Um, I think early romantically, I think that there was a sort of, uh, at least a relationship between the families that went a little further back. Because like the way that I remember it in my mind, and this isn't a spoiler because this is literally just my fucking imagination tying together bits and pieces of memories, is that her and the Fayads obviously had a long long friendship and relationship, but also that her and Dodie had a longer friendship that had like recently blossomed into something that was slightly more romantic, but that there, there was more of a sense of true kind of like devotion there and like genuine affection and respect than the show makes it seem. I don't know that that, at least in is the- Is accurate. Yeah, I, I <laughs> think just definitely- in my like, mind. When I was reading, you know, again, I'm not uh, <laughs> an expert on it, but it didn't seem like people took issue with that. That, that. that people, I think there was sort of some question of like, did they make it seem like the, you know, the Alphaids kind of came out of nowhere um, and and started sucking up to the royal family. But like, and there was actually much more of like a, a, a relationship between the two families, but I don't know that no one's sort of suggested that I've seen that that Dodie and Diana were good friends long before their romantic relationship. Makes it sadder, for sure. Yeah. One, I, it seems like in general that people who were more positive about the show in the early and middle seasons, there, there's been more criticism of it in, yeah. in recent years. Um, and I would say I that, see that my, my, and I think even, you know, even when you were talking about it a little bit in past episodes, but I mean, personally, I, my sense of it is is less that the show has gotten worse and more that it's just getting into more sensitive and more recent areas. And so you're just going to have more disputed more of a reaction. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, I, they, I guess I hadn't thought of this, but, but somebody, I think it was in slate pointed out that in the fifties and sixties and seventies, there's like more documents that are now just available publicly. Also, a lot of the people involved have put out memoirs that are pretty candid. And so you have a better sense of what's happening in the closed rooms that and, and in the private lives. A trove of data. Yeah. Right. And here, I, my sense of how the show approaches it is they try to stay pretty true to what's, what's sort of happening on the public stage. Like if you see a press conference on the show, it's probably very close to what happened in the press conference in real life. What they, But then they basically have to take a little bit of a few rumors and innuendo and then try to piece together a dialogue in a closed door. Right. Room. Yeah. Which means that you have to imagine it. And I think that's 
that's essentially the show they're making. And that's, you know, that's unavoidable if you're going to make a show about Diana and, um, you know, the 90s and 2000s at this point in time. I think you're right, because it's bothersome to the rest of us who maybe had our imagination already write those conversations or those stories or fill in the blanks in our own way. Um, There's more to be like touchy about. No one, I don't think anyone is sitting around feeling touchy about an argument that Prince Philip and Elizabeth had over the coronation being televised, right? It's just like a different, (laughs) you know, like they can imagine that fight as much as they want. You know, it's not it doesn't really bother anyone um, at this point. And, you know, it it does do a good job, I think, of really encapsulating just how personal the emotions of the general populace are with Diana. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I, you know, even those of us like I like I said, I was nine when she died. So there's no real true emotional connection. And yet there's something that's very, very moving about the kind of collective memory that we have of her, whether it's you know, shaking the first hand of of the AIDS patient, or it's the way she pushes the microphone away from from the uh, I think it was folks in like Haiti uh, who were being interviewed by the press, or it's the kind of like snide remark that she makes to Charles when he says, you know, oh he's kind of dumb, and she says, yeah, well he's a man, you know. There's <laughs> there's there there's like we we all have that like thing that we are like, oh yeah, Diana. You know, like I care about her in my actual heart. And so I think that the show does a great job of that. To move off of Diana slightly, a thing that I also slightly take issue with is the portrayal of Charles across this last season. Hmm. And I think it's also a selfish emotional thing. I mean, it, it is a delicate business kind of like putting these people that we know and have ideas of and have feelings towards whatever they may be, how accurate they are, or fair, judgmental they are. It doesn't really mm. matter. We have them, right? Like they're already built in our system, in our kind of like theory of mind, right? And so to, you know, the, it really feels like in this season that Charles is kind of being given like the benefit of the doubt that he is this person who is growing, this person who is really concerned with what kind of father he is. He's kind of grown out of the petulant, spoiled thing that is hard to believe as IRL, we are going into a coronation while Britain's economy is as bad as it's ever been. And... (laughs) You know, he's failing to get British pop stars and singers to come to his coronation and it's still extravagant and it does feel like a me, me, me kind of thing. <laughs> and like you're like, well, so in his like late 40s, early 50s, he was not that. And now in his like 60 pluses, he's an asshole again. Like, well, <laughs> I, I don't know. It just yeah, it, it it's kind of bothersome, although I do find it credible that he, given what we do have documented about the way he feels about his own father, felt about his own father, um, and the way he felt he was parented by his parents, I do find it credible that he would make more of an effort towards sensitivity and affection across the board. I don't know how that actually plays out behind closed doors, but I, I find that to be like a credible, rational, reasonable point to try to make. Yeah, I I think Charles is the character who I have the hardest time 
connecting the Charles in the show to the Charles in reality. Um, and I mean, in truth, a lot of it is just, I don't know a lot about the real Charles. Um, he just doesn't seem to have a lot of charisma and I don't care about just him. Just like the least interesting person Yes, in the royal family. Whereas the Charles that we see in the show is, even when he's being petulant and childlike and horrible to Diana, I think is a really compelling person because he's obviously almost always in so much pain. And I, you know, maybe that's really there, but to me, it's, I I feel like that's the part of the show where I'm just like, oh, this is a fictional character named Charles Prince of Wales. Well, and I feel like they, maybe the only casting error that they made was this Charles in this these last two seasons and like that's no mark against the actor i actually think that the actor is deeply attractive and and truly charming and i just don't think that charles is charles was not attractive or charming he was you know the opposite of those things and so i just yeah i feel like you're like again giving him a lot more credit in these last two seasons than he earned in any way Yes, I, and I think I'm fine with that because in a lot of ways I watch the show as, I mean, I watch it as historical fiction, but like emphasis more on the fiction than on historical. Mm -hmm. And so for that reason, I think like if it was just this giant charisma void who was at the center of a bunch of episodes in the final season. It'd be harder. Yeah. It would be, you know, just a less interesting show. Um But maybe we should also sort of talk about the fact that so this season is divided into two halves and it was released sort of as the Diana episodes, which are the first four episodes, and then uh, the the rest of the season, which is the final six. Which feels more like a traditional crown, which is like kind of capsule episodes of certain events or big moments that Mm -hmm. involve different characters in the royal family. Yeah. I mean, people have talked about the fact that you know, normally, you know, a season of the crown usually covers uh, a decade, which is sort of, which is true in this one. And, and it's true of the latter six episodes, but the first four episodes essentially take place over eight-ish Three weeks. weeks. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like a very short time. Which is very, very unusual. Um, but I didn't feel like those episodes were padded at all. I thought like actually giving that time to the Diana and Dodie relationship worked really well. I felt like it was absolutely necessary, to be honest, because like I said, if any viewer out there feels the way that I did, that's what we were building towards, sadly, right? We were sadly building towards Diana's relationship with Charles, the birth of her two children, the dissolution of their marriage, Camilla, and then sadly, you know, this Paris deal and the big kind of interview moments that are in between the photo of her on the diving board of the yacht. Um, You know, those are things that are kind of like iconic, I think, in our memories. And I don't think you can rush those. I think you have to give the people what they've been waiting for for seven years, (laughs) you know? Um, And so, yeah, I don't feel like that was padded at all. And like I said, I have only seen four of the final six but I felt like they were well executed. I have to say that Imelda Swenton, is that the way to say it? Staunton. Imelda Staunton is fantastic as Queen Elizabeth. Absolutely superb. I think their Elizabeth uh, casting throughout has been incredible. I did make a huge mistake 
which is that I watched the first four episodes of The Crown. And then I have a belief and an ideology, really, that Harry Potter movies are Christmas movies. Okay. And so in the break between part one and part two, I know where you're we going watched all of the Harry Potter movies. And Amelda Staunton is a very different character in those movies. And it was really hard, particularly for Danny, who had never seen all of the Harry Potter movies through to make the transition. Um, and it kind of like poisoned Queen Elizabeth for just a minute. But then she says something and you're like, oh, <laughs> Although it's, I feel like, I mean, her character in the Harry Potter movies is somebody who seems superficially very cheerful and friendly and then turns out to be really nasty and evil. And yes. I don't think that's true of Elizabeth, but she also, I think, can have this sort of superficially very kind of friendly side. And then you sort of discover, at least as depicted in the show, this this kind of, you know, really steely interior, which is admirable in some contexts and, and less, you know, kind of uh, more deplorable in others. I agree with that. And I do think that there's an interesting line that was drawn that I only realized kind of in the later in like maybe episode three of part two. So really towards the end of what they what they're doing with the kind of like line of succession. Um, there's an episode in part two that shows Elizabeth pre ascension. And there's talk of like what she sacrificed to be the crown. And in the moment that you kind of like, I think you know that throughout watching the show, because there's lots of sacrifices that she makes personally, whether, you know, that's selfish or right or deplorable in the action she takes or the cold kind of steely side that she shows, whether it's to her family or to the public or to the prime minister, whatever that might mean. I think like it's easy to kind of agree on the idea that she she truly did commit to what it means to be the crown for better or worse, whether that makes her a good person or not. And then once you kind of commit to that as a belief system, then you look at Charles and then you look at William, who is newish in our mind in the show, but you watch their choices around sacrifice being similar in some ways and being very, very different in some ways. And for me, again, whether I agree with every decision that Elizabeth made in the show, let's call it, because I don't fucking know what she did in real life. But if I agree with it or disagree with it, whatever, I do have some measure of respect as we get towards the end of what she, her commitment to it, her devotion to truly being the crown, whether it was like telling Philip, I'm your queen. Don't give a shit that you're my husband. Who I am <laughs> supposed to respect. I'm your queen. Yeah. And, and knowing that she was damaging her relationship doing that, whether it was treating Charles like the heir and not her son, whether it was, you know, there, there's kind of a long list of choices she made Margaret, disappointing Margaret to be the crown. You know, there's a long list of things that she did where she did it to be who is she is was meant to be. And I have respect for that. I think you'll you'll like the finale because I think it, it really kind of starts to dig into that more or... or ask that question um and and particularly so i'll say i, I think it's not a spoiler to sort of just talk broadly about the, the sure. finale because it's um you know it's one of in the, their descriptions yes <laughs> and and 
you know, one of the qu big questions going into the season was the fact that they said, look, we're not bringing this show up to the present. We're, we're just going to stop, you know, like roughly 20 years ago. And so then how do you have a satisfying ending? And so broadly speaking, the way they do it is they uh, structure an episode that, that the last episode is about um, Elizabeth planning, her, like turning 80 and as a result, sort of being pushed into planning her own funeral and then at the same time reflecting on whether or not she should abdicate in favor of Charles. And so that, you know, you get this sort of very reflective episode about what is it like, what kind of job has she done as a queen? Is Charles ready to be king? And, um, you know, I, I, again, real, real life spoiler, uh, she did not abdicate and she was queen for another 20 years. So you get a sense of where she lands on that decision. Was there ever anything, and like, if you can't do this without spoilers, then don't, but like, was there ever any discussion in the show that reflected the discussion that I feel like was real in real life, which is, we may skip Charles. Like there was, there's always been a push. There's kind of been a low hum for the last <laughs> 30 years. Like just skip Charles, give it to William, young, fresh monarch. Nobody fucking likes Charles anyway. He broke the rules with Mary and Camilla anyway. Mm -hmm. Like, let's just skip him. Was there ever any glimpse of that in the show at all? Or that's just, they don't even touch that. They're, they touch it a little bit in the, in, actually, I think they've already covered it in the episodes you saw because they talk about it when they talk about William's popularity. And, and so they talk about it in this way where they, I don't think it's never anyone seriously discussing it, but more just like, oh, you know, the newspapers are saying we should all just skip Charles and go straight to William. But there's no like scene where Elizabeth is seriously considering that. Got it. Yeah, I think I will like the finale. What did you think of the um, William Kate episode? And do we think that that is accurate in any way? Again, like a lot of a lot in this season of parents manipulating their way into the <laughs> royal family, right? I don't know how accurate either of those things are. Maybe with Bayed more, I don't know. I've never heard anything about that. Yeah, it doesn't. I think that a lot of it is made up in a way that's not, that doesn't contradict what's known, but is definitely made up. Like it's, it's but is basically, yeah. yeah, it's, it's Peter Morgan trying to come up with an explanation for what, how these things happened in a way that's right. satisfying as a story, whether or not it's true. Real or not. Yeah. Who okay. knows? I definitely went into it. And, and again, I think this is partly why I brought up the, the division was I had this feeling of, I'm very interested in seeing Diana episodes. I don't give a shit about William. And so I'm not excited about the second half of the season. Um, and so my expectations were low and I thought it was actually pretty good. It was again, sort it was of a good too. solid episode of the crown. And, and it was sort of like, I remember the description in Netflix was just like, will their love blossom? I'm like, what fucking show is this? Gross. But it's actually, you know, it, it does part of what the crown does is it shifts focus, it shifts tone. And so this was an episode that was basically a college romance episode, which was given a little bit more weight because it's also William still grieving for his mother, still wrestling with the weight of being in the direct line of su succession. But um, 
but and also having way too much attention than he's comfortable with. Charles mm-hmm. loved attention. Diana had a complicated relationship with attention where she did love it, I think, but she also kind of like was buried under it to some yeah. extent. Um, I really liked, you know, I, I, something that I kept thinking of during the William and Kate episode was this story that Michelle Obama tells that I don't know if it's real or not, but I Mm. think about it a lot. And I think that it was pretty well encapsulated kind of in this, in the, in the episode from Kate's perspective, Michelle Obama tells a story of her and Barack while he was president, I think having to stop the motorcade somewhere to get some food because they were exhausted. Maybe they're on the campaign trail. I don't, I don't really, I don't know the details, but they stopped somewhere to get some food at some like side of the road, little place. And the chef came out and greeted them and Michelle recognized him and they were pretty affectionate. She's like, it's so good to see you, blah, 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 blah. This is great. And when the chef left, Barack was like, who is that? She's like, that's my ex-boyfriend. And Barack says, uh, can you imagine if you had chosen him, you'd probably be back there right now working at a restaurant or helping him own this restaurant. And she said, no, no, honey. If I had chosen him, he'd be president. And, <laughs> and I am obsessed with that. I don't know if it's a real story or not, but I'm obsessed with it as a concept. And there's something about the way Kate specifically was portrayed and the comment of, you know, you look like someone who excels at everything that, you know, I'm not like a huge Kate Middleton fan. I don't know mm-hmm. shit about her, whatever. But there's something about that that has a nice essence to it that makes me feel good. And um, yeah, I liked it. I like also that I, I feel like one of the things that we don't see a lot, um, we see more of, but still not a lot of, is the portrayal of somebody who is ambitious and high achieving. I don't mean somebody, I mean a woman who's ambitious and high achieving and having that portrayed sympathetically. And like the idea that Catherine, that in a lot of ways, her relationship to Prince William could have basically been engineered by her parents and her. Um, but having that portrayed sympathetically is like actually interesting. And and because I feel like in so many other like contexts that would be seen as very evil and naughty and and slippery. I think yeah. like it reminds me a little bit of what we talked about last week, which is the concept of like the Julia Roberts character and leave the world behind being portrayed sympathetically. It's not something that we see very often either. Right. And yeah. so Look at these look at these male showrunners getting getting more nuanced. <laughs> Way to go, guys. <laughs> it's interesting. I mean, one of the things that uh Peter Morgan, who is the showrunner, creator of The Crown, and either wrote or co-wrote, I think, every episode of the show, um, has said is that he still is not totally sure how he feels about the monarchy, which I don't know if I totally buy that because I feel like you don't make a show like this unless you're pretty sympathetic to the monarchy. Um, but uh, he said that the reason he writes the show the way he does is because Queen Elizabeth is of the same age and generation as his mother. And so he writes, he wrote the show partly to try to understand his mother's generation. And so that kind of reverence for traditionalism, for that kind of like stiff upper lipness, I think comes through that has less to do with Kate, but, but just sort of how he approaches the show in general. I think that's a good 
a good way to look at it. And I actually think I have more, um, I believe him a little bit more than you do to not know how he feels about the monarchy or at least be undecided. He's not saying I'm anti-monarchy, but he's saying I'm undecided about the concept of the monarchy while still, while still having some measure of empathy for these people. Like, I think it's, it's a really difficult thing to do as a person to look at someone like Charles who has so much Mm-hmm. who has so much privilege, so much, you know, I wouldn't even power. I mean, it is power. It's influence. It's something. It's not, it might right. not be power the way we want to think of it as a monarch, right. but it's like soft power, symbolic power, influence. Like exactly. Yeah. And just access and opportunity and all of these things. And to uh, look at the problems that he has and say, I can feel some measure of sympathy for the problems that you have. That's a hard thing to do. It's a hard thing to look at uh, Queen Elizabeth, who was queen for most of her life. Again, lots of power, influence, blah, blah, blah. And look at her and see you are someone who has sacrificed so much. It's it's a, it's like not an easy thing to do, but it's a really, really, really important thing to do. Because, you know, I go through this sometimes. I have a 16-year-old who gets upset about things. And my initial reaction is to laugh. Because I'm like, girl, this is nothing. You know what I mean? Like, this is nothing. It is literally nothing. It is not a big deal. Like, look at what you have. Be grateful. Everything's fine. Chill. But like to her, it is. It's a big thing. Right. And it's like, you know, it's hard to look at people who on the outside feel like they have a lot going for them. But on the inside feel like this is, you know, to someone who's been through a lot in their life. They have a big problem. It feels like a big problem to someone who hasn't been through a lot in their life. They have what feels like a little problem to them. It feels like a big problem. And like, I don't think there's any harm. There's harm in um, in kind of trying to like measure people's issues against one another, I think. And there's harm in. um, Yeah, I think just practicing empathy. It, It doesn't have to be like a a dick measuring contest on empathy. And I think maybe that's what he's saying. It's like as an individual, the monarchy, the, these these individual people are worth empathizing with, whether I believe they should be in these positions or not. Yeah, exactly. And I, and I think that definitely one of the things I've taken away from this show, which I really would not have thought about or considered before, was I think in one of our previous reviews of The Crown, you use the phrase gilded cage. And I do believe that they all live in a gilded cage and they have incredible privilege. And also in some ways their lives are a nightmare. Um, and, and both of those things are true. Um, and, and neither of those things un, like fully erases the other. Yes, exactly. And that's like a difficult thing to contend with. So like kudos to Peter Morgan for, Peter Morgan, is that his name? Yep. For mm-hmm. For like taking that on again, like kind of regardless what you think of the monarchy IRL, um, it's Although, a tough so then, battle. Like you said, it's also a little bit of a separate. It's related, but also separate from the question of should there be a monarchy and and should it look the way it does now, which he sort of addresses in that episode I was talking about before, where um, t- you know basically Elizabeth is dealing with her own low approval numbers. And so she goes to Tony Blair, who's incredibly popular at the time, and says, hey, can you give me some suggestions on how to rethink or improve the monarchy? And he, and he goes at it like, he's very enthusiastic about the task and, and gives her this giant folder of, of changes that he suggests. And um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that 
Elizabeth is not enthusiastic about these changes. And, and there's a big speech in the episode where she basically says, you know, like, I'm not against reform, but tradition is also important. And I know it's easy to say, why is there a swan? I forget exactly the title, but like somebody's responsible. Warden of the swans. Warden of the swans, you know, these insane. The keeper of the cutlery or whatever. Yeah, these insane job titles. Um, and, And basically she says, you know, that the monarchy is about transcendence and mystery. And so you can't approach it the way you approach other branches of government. You just sort of cut what's inefficient because at a certain point you just lose that. The part that makes it, yeah, that makes it even remotely believable that this was a bloodline appointed by God, which is what it really has to be, right? Like, right. if it's not that, then there's what are we doing here, right? Other, otherwise, they're just celebrities. Yeah, anything that shaves away at the concept that this was divine appointment starts to get, yeah, it, 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 the whole thing crumbles away from that. So you have to constantly put protective shields around the idea of divine appointment. I think one of the things that's good about the show is that you don't have to agree with that. I don't think, I'm not even sure that Peter Morgan agrees with that, but that's that he just gives her the defense that I think would be the best possible defense of the institution. And then you can sort of make your own judgment of it. Yeah, because that's what she would like reasonably and pragmatically. That is how she would approach it strategically. Right. I don't know what else she would, you know, how else you would. And and also we have the backbone of the fact that she didn't change much. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, well, this is probably what happened. Um, this is probably how she made that argument. Uh, I, You know, I haven't seen the last two episodes, but I think overall for the series, I give it a. I give it a thumbs up. I think it, uh, even two maybe, I think it did its job and it it lasted and it delivered kind of across the board. There are obviously episodes that I have issues with and, you know, I still think it's a nice thing to have in the archive now, right? And I think it changed, I really do believe that it changed my perception of Queen Elizabeth, who I kind of thought is just like this, you know, again, in our personal memory bank of who Elizabeth is, she's been this ancient lady who like bops around in little like pastel green or bright orange dresses and like sticks a knife in a cake or, you know, <laughs> you know, whatever. It's like she she's kind of like this nobody boring, bland old queen. Right. And to to be given away in 2023 that isn't like some you know, dusty auto, you know, biographical book, not that books are bad, but like to be given a (laughs) modern day medium through which to kind of like watch her journey and experience it definitely changed my opinion of her. I don't think she's a great person, but I do have a ton of respect for what she was able to do. Yeah. I, we talked about this a lot in text, but I, I think in theory, just feel like totally bleh about this show. And then every time I I start watching it, I get totally hooked. And there's still a part of me that's just like, that just seems insane to me that there are 60 hours about the life of Queen Elizabeth. But, and, and, you know, there's a part of me that wants to say what I say about a lot of shows. It's like, yeah, I just watched the first couple of seasons. You're fine. Um, But part of like understanding what makes this show distinctive is the fact that it's so long. And, and the fact that I think often there are 
episodes that on their own feel kind of simplistic and reductive and they just reduce Elizabeth to one thing or a historical event to one thing. But just by virtue of the fact that they will return to characters and return to ideas over the six seasons, that it naturally just becomes more complex and nuanced. And of course, just seeing three different actresses portray Elizabeth is, is itself and Philip is itself just like a really interesting thing. And, and pretty much across the board, I think everyone did a good job. Even the um, actress they p- hired to play the, the youngest version of Elizabeth in the Ritz. Yes. Who was looks so just like Clairvoy. I mean, insane. I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, is this Clairefoy like digitally de-aged or is it um, and one Margaret. of her relatives? The actress yes. they chose to play Margaret was also like spitting image, you know, five years earlier than the original Margaret actress, which I thought was, yeah, they did a fantastic job with that. Ooh. Yeah. I mean, I agree with everything that you just said. I think like the longevity of it, the fact that it spans six centuries, basically decades, decades, sorry, <laughs> 600 years, six decades. Um, and kind of like the, the, the depth of that is worth worth it. I think. I mean, you know, there are folks that are obsessed with Downton Abbey. Like this show is for you. There are folks that are obsessed with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Probably not for you, you know. But like, I think all of us have a little. There's probably a part of the story that you don't know or don't have any interest in or curiosity in. And if you sit and watch it, I promise you will you will be somewhat intrigued. You know, like that's that's how I think about this. Yeah. And then I think the only other thing I'd say is that it's important to remember with this, but also with pretty much anything that is like a biopic that's like a historical drama is that it's a fictional interpretation. And mm-hmm. you can disagree with the interpretation and and criticize aspects of the interpretation. But I think a lot of people, I think particularly like, you know, monarchists, royalists um, get really upset just be- by this, the simple fact that they make things up. But you're like, that's what this show is. It's making things up based on the historical record, if that's not what you think they should do, then you don't watch the show. And they don't even do like a based on real events type thing to open each show. Like they don't mm-hmm. even do that, even though it is like it, it it does stick to the rubric of actual things that have happened, but they don't even do that. And the only thing that they do to reference the truth is at the end of some episodes, they will put in text, you know, Princess Margaret, this at this time or you know this stalker of elizabeth really this at this time or whatever it might be just to make sure you have like the here's what legit happened in text this is factual although they do it less i think partly because they just assume well this is what we're showing you is the most recent thing or oh you already know kind of what happened after Mm -hmm. well if you have thoughts on the crown season six or on the entirety of the show that you'd like to share with us you can shoot us an email original content pod at gmail.com that's original content pod at gmail.com we're also at original content pod on instagram and threads at jordan's request we're going to be figuring out what to do on tiktok too but i haven't gotten around to that yet and of course we always appreciate it when you subscribe and leave us a positive review in apple Podcasts or the podcast app of your choosing thank you so much for listening Happy holidays, and Jordan, I'll talk to you soon. Later. Happy holidays.